Chapter 15 of Cutlass and Cudgel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded for you by Kyle Vandeglast. Cutlass and Cudgel by George Manville Fenn. Chapter 15. Lieutenant Bruff was out for a long walk. That is to say, he had his glass tucked under his arm and was trotting up and down his cleanly holly-stone deck, pausing from time to time to raise his glass to his eye and watch the top of the cliff ending by gazing in the direction of the cove. The men said he had been putting them through their facings that morning, and he had been finding more fault in two hours than in the previous week, for he was getting fidgety. He had not enjoyed his breakfast, and it was getting on toward the time for his midday meal. Suddenly he stopped short by the master, who had also been using a glass, and was evidently waiting to be spoken to. Seemed in good spirits last night, Mr. Gurr, eh? Mr. Raystroke, sir? Oh, yes. I mean, liked his job? Yes, sir. Determined on it. Humph. Time we had some news of him, eh? Yes, sir. But he may turn up on the cliff at any moment. Yes. Men quite ready? Yes, sir. That's right. Of course. Well armed? Yes, sir. You did tell me. Soon as the signal comes, we shall push off. Awkward bit of country, sir. Six miles row before you can find a place to land. Very awkward. But they have to find a place to land their spirits, Mr. Gurr. And if we don't soon have something to show, we shall be called to account. Very unlucky, sir. Seems to me like going eel-fishing with your bare hand. Worse, you might catch one by accident. So shall we yet, sir. These fellows are very cunning, but we shall be too many for them one of these days. Dear me, dear me, said the little lieutenant after a few more turns up and down. I don't like this at all. I don't think I ought to have let a boy like that go alone. You don't think, Mr. Gurr, that they would dare to injure him if he was so unlucky as to be caught. Well, sir, said the master, hesitating, smugglers are smugglers. Mr. Gurr, said the little lieutenant, raising himself up on his toes so as to be as high as possible, will you have the goodness to talk sense? Certainly, sir. Smugglers are smugglers indeed. What did you suppose I thought they were, oysters? Beg pardon, sir, didn't mean any harm. Getting very late, said the little officer after another sweep of the top of the cliff, especially above where the French lugger landed the goods. I shall be obliged to send you on shore, Mr. Gurr. We must go and find him. I'm getting very anxious about Mr. Raystroke. Start at once, sir? No, wait another and a half hour. Very ill-advised thing to do. I cannot think what you were doing, Mr. Gurr, to advise me to do such a thing. Me, sir? said the master, looking astonished. Yes, a great pity. I ought not to have listened to you, but in my anxiety to leave no stone unturned to capture some of these scoundrels, I was ready to do anything. Very true, sir. Now, my good fellow, what do you mean by that? It was only an observation, sir. Then I must request that you will not make it again. Very true? Of course what I say is very true. Do you think I should say a thing that was false? Beg pardon, sir. Friday picked up some awkward expressions about the old frigate. Awkward, Mr. Gurr, awkward. Yes, sir, of course. You do not understand the drift of my remarks. Afraid not, sir, said the master, smiling. Understand drift of the tide much better. Mr. Gurr. Yes, sir. I have tried to teach you to pronounce the King's English correctly, and you turn it off with a ribald remark. Beg pardon, sir. Another of my frigate bad habits. It is a great privilege, Mr. Gurr, to be one of those who speak the English tongue, so do not abuse it. Say awkward in the future, not awkward. Certainly, sir. I'll try, said the master, and then to himself. Starboard, larboard, forward, backward, awkward. What does he mean? By this time the little lieutenant was scanning the cliffs again, and the master took off his hat and wiped his forehead. Talk about thistles and stinging nettles, he muttered. Why, there's no bearing him today. 
and all on account of a scamp of a middy such as there's a hundred times too many on in the royal navy to know though bit cocky and nose in the air when he's in full uniform and don't know which is head and which is his heels but he aren't such a very bad sort of boy well what's the matter with you dirty dick screwed up his mouth as if to speak but only stared don't turn yourself into a figurehead of an old wreck sir what do you want leave to go ashore sir well you're going soon as the skipper orders i mean all alone by myself sir what for there aren't a public house for ten miles didn't mean that then what did you mean speak out and don't do the double shuffle all over my clean deck no sir hopping about like a cat on hot bricks now then why do you want to go ashore try and find mr raystroke sir beginning to feel scarred about him what's that said the lieutenant who had come back from a baft unheard scared about whom beg pardon didn't mean nout sir said the sailor touching his forelock yes you did sir now look here cried the lieutenant shaking his glass at the man don't you try to deceive me you meant that you were getting uneasy about mr raystroke's prolonged absence yes sir that's it said dick eagerly then how dare you have the effrontery to tell me that you did not mean nout as you have the confounded north country insolence to call it for two pins sir women's pins sir not belaying pins i'd have you put ashore with orders not to show your dirty face again till you had found mr raystroke Dirty Dick passed his hand over his face carefully, and then looked at the palm to see if any of the swarthy tan had come off. "'Do you hear me, sir?' cried the lieutenant. "'Yes, sir,' said the man humbly. "'Shall I go at once, sir?' "'No. Wait. Keep a sharp lookout on the cliff to see if Mr. Raystroke is making signals for a boat. I dare say he has been there all the time. Only you took up my attention with your chatter.' He swung round, walked aft, and began sweeping the shore again with his glass, while the master and Dick exchanged glances which meant a great deal. He is in a wax, said Dick to himself, as he walked to the side and stood shading his eyes with his hands, looking carefully for the signals which did not come. Two hours more passed away, during which it was a dead calm, and the sun beat down so hotly that the seams began to send out little black beads of pitch, and drops formed under some of the ropes ready to come off the first hand which touched them. At last the little lieutenant could bear the anxiety no longer. Pipe away the men to that boat there, he said, and as the crew sprang in, now mr gurr he said i'm only going to say one thing to you in the way of instructions yes sir will you have the goodness to wait till i have done speaking mr gurr and not compel me to say all i wish over again beg pardon sir said the master deprecatingly i say sir i have only one order to give you get ashore as soon as you can and find and bring back mr raystrom yes sir cried the master and he walked over the side glad to get into the boat and push off muttering the while and i always thought him such a quiet amiable little chap He's a tartar, that's what he is, making all this fuss about a boy who, as like as not, is having a game with us. Don't see me getting out of temper with everybody, and spitting and swearing like a mad tomcat. Hang the boy. He's only a middy. Now, my lads, now, my lads, put your backs into it, will you? The boat was already surging through the water faster than it had ever gone before, but the men bent lower and the longer, and the blades of the oars made the water flash and foam as they dipped and rose with the greatest irregularity. For the lieutenant's anxiety about the young officer of the White Hawk was growing more and more contagious, and the men gave a cheer as they spanned the boat along, every smart sailor on board thinking about the frank, straightforward lad who had so bravely gone on the risky expedition. "'Look ye here, Jemmy,' said one of the men to his nearest mate. "'Talk about tacking the enemy. "'If wrong's happening to our young gentleman, all I can say is, "'as I hopes it's orders to land every night to burn villages and sack everything we can.' "'And so says all of us,' came in a chorus from the rest of the crew." steady my lads steady cried the master keep stroke and then he began to make plans as to his first proceedings on getting ashore he wasn't long in making these plans and when the cove was reached the two fishing luggers and another boat or two lying there were carefully overhauled 
Gur gazing at the men on board like a fierce dog, and literally worrying the different fishermen as cleverly as a cross-examining counsel would a witness ashore. End of chapter 15. Recorded for you by Kyle Vanderglass.